church this morning. It's my uh, privilege and joy to uh, warmly welcome you, whether this is your first time uh, worshiping with us or uh, you've, uh, you're a regular participant in the Gathering of God's People here. Uh, welcome this morning. And I was reminded um, just this morning about uh, the importance that this time is for my own life. Uh, this morning we're looking at the topic of patience. And I woke up early this morning and you're going over your notes and uh, you're ready to go, and you get in the car to head to church and on Summerfield. I couldn't believe it. I kid you not. I am so annoyed at how slow the person was <laughs> driving in front of me. And it's just a reminder of how focused I am on myself and my, my needs, my wants, my whole life. Uh, so much of the time revolves around uh, myself. And I need this time to be reoriented to the reality that my life has been created to revolve around the one that we worship this morning. I need to be reminded that our God is exalted over the nations. And I trust that in many ways you're, you might be better, more mature in your patience than me, but I, I suspect, suspect that you had the same need as I do this morning to be uh, realigned, to refocus our gaze uh, upon the one we worship. So with that, I invite you to stand as we enter into worship with the call to worship from Psalm 113, the Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Amen.
Almighty God, as we come into your presence this morning, our desire, our longing is to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this one who has redeemed and rescued us, who entered into our humanity and took upon himself human flesh, that he might identify with us, that he might live the life that we could never live, and that he was willing to pay the price, the debt that we owed, that we could never pay. And we thank you because of his work, because of the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have now been made your own, rescued and redeemed out of this world, and called to be your people, and called to, to gather in this way, to, to worship you, to meet with you. And we trust that that is exactly what we will experience this morning, that we will know not just the company of God's people, but we will know the presence of you, the living God, in our midst. As we hear your word spoken into our lives, as we come to the table and celebrate the Lord's table and all that Christ has accomplished as we sing songs and offer our prayers through it out, throughout the entirety of this service. We pray, Lord, that you would meet with your people and that you would change and transform us more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
You may be. There's a phrase in our confession of sin this week that reminded me of when I used to go to the park with my kids when they were young, and it would be time to go, and invariably somebody would cry or somebody would be upset. Maybe not my kids, but other people who have children there. And there's a line in the confession today that says, we have wrestled control of our lives away from you. And it reminded me of, of that image that most people can imagine of a child running away from its parent. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to go somewhere else. And it's one thing to see it in the heart of a child, but it's quite a different thing to see the same action in an adult, somebody who's more mature. But the confession today reminds us that this is what we do on a, on a daily basis with our Lord. So will you confess publicly with me, and then we'll have a time of private confession after. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now as our King. We can only come to you because you welcome the needy and the afflicted, and that is who we are. Our central need is for your reign, yet we run from it. We try to look out for our own well-being because we don't trust you to carry us. Many times in this past week, we have wrestled control of our lives away from you. In those times, we have turned our hearts away from your heart and our feet away from your commandments. So receive us now as your children. Receive us not because we're good, or because we vow to do better, but receive us on the basis of all that Christ accomplished upon the cross in our place. Amen. Take a time of private confession. Amen. Having confessed our sins, will you please stand and hear these words of assurance? In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Amen. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the world. 
From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the today comes from the 27th and 28th question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Will you respond with me about what we believe about the almighty and ever-present power of God? We believe in the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them 
that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Therefore, we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Amen. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, at the beginning of this new school year, we pray for our public, private, and homeschool teachers that they would begin with renewed strength, free, free of weariness, and ready to take on each day with grace, wisdom, and kindness. We ask that our teachers be blessed with an administration that cares about their good, builds them up, encourages them, and provides them with all the resources and support needed. We ask for teachers, students, and parents to be filled with compassionate hearts and kindness toward each other, for patience, grace, and forgiveness when it comes to mistakes and misunderstandings. May every teacher be blessed to see the profit of his or her toil. May every teacher be blessed to see students grow in learning and skill and wisdom. For our public, private, and homeschooled students, we pray that they may learn to love learning because all knowledge is your knowledge and all wisdom is your wisdom. Give them a deepening understanding of truth and a finer discernment of the ideas they encounter in their studies. Guard their minds against error, their hearts against the temptation to compare their performance to the work of their peers and so to fall into either of the twin traps of shame or pride. Grant that each student might happily steward what scholarly gifts you have apportioned them and that they might do so as a means of preparing themselves for service to you and to others, their identity drawn from your love and forgiveness and not from grades or accolades. Open, O oh Lord, the paths of each student's life and the days yet to come. Use their studies to further shape their vision of what their place and call in this world might be and begin to show them where their own deep gladness and the world's deep need might meet. And in that light, let them be mindful not only of their studies, but also of the needs of their peers and even of their teachers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, I want to warmly welcome uh, everyone this morning. Uh, just a couple of announcements uh, you'll uh, see in your worship guide on page uh, 15. A number of uh, opportunities for connection and service are, are available. Uh, we'll just, just to, to remind uh, for our youth next Saturday, uh, they'll be uh, uh, spending some time together in Sonoma. The details are in your worship guide. Um, and also, uh, it's hard to believe, but September's right around the corner, and it just... The, the, the life and the 
uh, pattern of the church. Often things begin in, in September along with the school year. And, and because of that, um, our community groups will be, uh, many of them will begin um, in the next couple of months. Um, so if you're interested uh, in being part of a group, maybe you're not in one now but would like to be one, uh, please speak with, uh, with me or, or reach out, connect with me during the week. We'd love to, to talk to you about that. I'd love to get you connected with a community group. Um, also, um, there, um, there are obviously many things that need to, to happen and take, get done on a, on a Sunday. We, we could always use more uh, people that are willing to serve in some role on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, if you're willing, uh, we would love to talk to you uh, about that. There's a whole host of different opportunities for service, and so we want to encourage people, um, at least give consideration to, to being part of, of um, helping uh, a Sunday morning uh, time together from, uh, from our, our worship time to the fellowship time afterward um, uh, that taking place. Uh, many hands make light work, and we could, could use some help. So please, again, speak with me or reach out to the office um, in the coming weeks, and we'd love to get you plugged in. Um, but with that, we'll uh, invite our children up to, I believe, age five to be uh, dismissed for Children's Church, um, and the teachers will be waiting out in the, the front entrance way. Well, this morning in our time together, we're going to be, as I mentioned, talking about an issue that we uh, must all deal with in life, regardless of who we are uh, this morning, and that is the whole matter of patience. And so um, this is what I want you to do as we get started. Uh, I want you to think about the last time someone tried your patience. Now, if they're next to you, don't elbow them, don't look at them. Uh, but think about the last time uh, someone tried your patience. For me, that is literally every single day. And so I am the chief of sinners when it comes to being uh, impatient, and I tend to wear uh, impatience on my face so that everyone can see uh, that I'm being impatient. And yet we're in a series going through the fruit of the Spirit where we're told that one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. In other words, growing in patience is evidence of a life that's been set free by Jesus. And yet, I am an immensely impatient person. Have you got that recent uh, experience in your mind where you were impatient with someone? I, I mean, I could literally give you multiple examples from this past week, even the last 24 hours, but let me give you uh, one from a few months ago, because not too long ago, I was in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, and like many airports, between terminals and concourses, they have those long-moving sidewalks. And uh, now I'm a pretty fast walker in general, uh, and especially so when I'm in an airport. I'm, I, but, and I don't always, but sometimes I'll jump on those moving sidewalks to pick up the pace even more. But what I've discovered is that there are two types of people who use moving sidewalks. The first type is the type that they just tend to get onto the moving sidewalk and they just sort of amble along, right? You know, they, 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 they might even just wander, slowly wander back and forth on the moving sidewalk. You're supposed to stand on the right, walk on the left. 
But the ambling people, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're oblivious. And even worse, when they're with someone else or maybe a party of people, you know, they stand side by side blocking the way. That's the first type of person. And they're always right in front of the second type of person, which is me. You see, cause, because I'm in a hurry to get where I'm going. And one reason, you know, I don't check a bag when I fly is because by the time I've landed, I know that I have to go down the moving sidewalk, up the escalator, over the bridge, down the stairs, so that I can get to the rental car desk in order to pick up a car so that I can then drive the three and a half, four hours to my final destination. And so I'm on the moving sidewalk, and it turns out the people in front of me on the moving sidewalk are amblers. And they're in my way. And so I just, what do I do? Well, because I'm a really patient person, I just get closer and closer and closer until I'm right up behind them. And I just stand there. And then infuriatingly, I look over uh, you know, past the moving sidewalk to p- another person who's walking. They're not even on the moving sidewalk. They're just on the ground, and they're walking past us because they're going faster than we can because I'm just standing there impatiently waiting for these people. And so as soon as I get to the other side where I can break free, I break free. I go up the escalator. I go to the rental car desk area, and when I get there, what I soon discover is that I am in the slowest moving rental car line in the history of mankind. And I've got to wait, I've got to wait, I've got to wait. And who then shows up at the next rental car desk over that just happens to be moving a whole lot faster than the one I'm in? That's right, the people, the amblers. (laughs) And who gets their rental car first? I'll give you a hint, not me. Now, I share this story for one simple reason. I want you to know that today's message is one that I need. In fact, I am preaching to myself today, and you just happen to be listening in. And today I want to show you, when I was looking at this topic of patience, preparing for this message, I was stunned to discover how central to our faith patience is. Because it's actually attached to another biblical concept in a, in a profound, profound way. But before we get there, let's just think about patience for a moment. I mean, we saw that the first fruit of the Spirit was what? Love, right? And we know that love is something central to the Christian faith. We, uh, we, we know that. We also know that 1 Corinthians 13 provides a definition of love. And there's, there's a whole chapter dedicated to describing love. And, 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 and you know what the first three words are, love is patient. So if we know if we are going to love like Jesus, we have to be patient because love is patient. And again and again and again, what we see in the Bible is that we are called to be patient. We are called as followers of Jesus to be patient people. And for all of us, that makes, that makes sense to us. We all know that. We all know that I was in the wrong on the moving sidewalks. It's a no-brainer. And yet, for some reason, we still struggle with impatience. In fact, sometimes we find ourselves getting impatient with ourselves. We're not growing in patience. 
Sometimes we even get impatient with God that he is not transforming us and making us into more patient, a more patient person. And so let's dive into this a bit. And let's start by asking the simple question, what is patience? Like from a biblical perspective, what is patience? Well, the Bible has several words that are translated patient or patience. And, and we're just going to look at them really quickly. Um, in Hebrew, which is the, the language of the Old Testament, that the, the, the Old Testament of the Bible is written in, the word for patience is savlanut, and it's connected uh, tellingly to two other words. One is sabal, which means a heavy load or burden, and the other is sovel, which means to suffer. The Hebrew root word for patience is also connected to the idea of to make something long to stretch something out. Let me give you an example of this uh, in the Old Testament. Proverbs 19.11, it says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So what he's saying here is that there's more, the more wisdom that you have, where, which obviously takes time, right? The, the more wisdom that you have, the more patience you will have. And then what will you be able to do? You'll overlook an offense. You'll be able to let something go. Why? Because you're patient. And why are you patient? Because of your wisdom. And that wisdom takes a long time. It stretches you out. You begin to, to get some perspective that you didn't have before. In Ecclesiastes, a couple of books later, it says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. He says, The end of the matter is better than the beginning. But you have to what? You have to wait to the end to see it, right? You have to be patient. And the thread through both those, those verses is, is something simple. Patience is about stretching out. What does that mean? Patience requires perspective. It requires perspective that you are not living fundamentally in this tiny moment. You're living in this tiny moment that actually is part of a big, long timeline. Patience requires us to be able to step back from that and look at it over the course of the long haul. Okay, that's the Old Testament. Now let's just, let's jump to the New Testament. The New Testament was written primarily in Greek, and there are two uh, Greek words that are translated patient or patience. The first is makrothumia, which means long-suffering. And long-suffering means what? Suffering for a long time, okay, that's the, that's the first word. And the second word is a word that means endurance. And, and, and what is endurance? We'll ask any endurance racer what it is. It is enduring, it is struggling, it is, it is that grind of pushing through something all the way to the end. So I just want you to hold on to the fact that patience in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it is this carry a heavy load or burden to suffer, to stretch something out. In the New Testament, it is to suffer for a long time. It is enduring through the grind of something. That's what patience is. Now let me turn to a verse in Romans 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And all of these three phrases kind of work 
together. So right in the middle of the verse is the phrase patient in affliction, right? You're being afflicted by something. You've, you've got a situation that you've got to be patient in. So, so what you, you do is you, you start with, the, uh, you know, what do you start with in order to be patient in that situation? Well, it says you rejoice in hope. Now, that may seem a little crazy, but it's consistent. In the book of James, it says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The key to lacking in nothing is maturity, and the way you get to that is you endure, you're patient, you're, you, you, you stretch out, you endure for a long time, so you rejoice. You consider the situation that you're in a joy. Why? Because it says you have hope. Because you've lifted your eyes from the situation to something else that gives you hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persistent in prayer. That's the final part of this. We're like, man, I'm not going to be able to be joyful in this situation. I, I can't lift my eyes up. So what do we do? We are persistent in prayer. We seek God's help so we're able to endure and be patient. Now, hold on to all of that, because there is a Bible dictionary that took all of these words together and created a definition of patience for us, and you're not going to like it. I just wanted to let you know that in advance, but here is this Bible dictionary's definition of patience. Here it is. Patience is the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation, and the self-control that keeps one from acting rashly, even though suffering opposition or adversity. That's pretty intense, isn't it? But that's the biblical definition of patience. And as followers of Jesus, when we're called to be patient. We're called to, to, to be that because it is, the, it is at the core of being a person who loves like Jesus loves. And every example that we have of patience in the Bible, here's the thing. Every example that we have, every command that we have, is in excruciatingly difficult circumstances. I mean, think about it. When, when people are being evil towards us, the hardest thing we face is when we are then called to be patient. And yet I can't even be patient in, in the minor inconveniences on the moving sidewalk in Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. And here's why this is so important from a spiritual perspective. Because God is held up in the Bible as being a patient long-suffering God toward us. Listen to this verse, 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, when I look at the evil in this world, I, I long for the day when it's over, don't you? You know, the day when Jesus comes to set everything right. That, that's what this verse, this is, this is all about Jesus' return. 
His promise that, that one day he, he will return. He will, he will take everything that he accomplished on the cross and he will apply it. And there will be no, no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. And I long that that day would happen. But the, the reason that it hasn't happened yet is because God is being patient. He's being patient toward us. He's being patient towards those who reject him. Understand, God's patience displays his power in restraint. It shows us the riches of his glory in mercy. It, it shows us that he has a perspective that we don't have. There is an eternal sense in which some people will never turn to Jesus. But do you know what they're going to get right now? Mercy and patience all the way to the end. I mean, I love how Paul personalizes this in 1 Timothy. He says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner, Christ Jesus might display his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And this rings true, hope for all of us, it rings true, it rings true for me. Because Jesus has been so extraordinarily patient with me. Especially when it comes to impatience and a lot of other areas as well. And my prayer is that other people would gain hope out of how patient God has been towards me. And that people would know that he is being exceedingly patient with them as well. So that they might believe in Jesus so that they may gain eternal life. Now, I told you at the very beginning that something struck me about patience as I was studying this that for me was stunning. And, and here it is. That there is this critical linkage in the Bible between two concepts. Patience and forgiveness. First, let's think about the example uh, that we have in Jesus. What, what does it say? The extraordinary patience he gives us. The extreme patience and mercy he has towards us. It is, it is poured out in the fact that he doesn't judge us instantly in our sin, but that he is patient with us. And as I was studying this, what, what, what came to mind was the parable that Jesus told that's all about forgiveness. But I didn't even realize until I, I reread it again this week that, it, that it's that it's also about patience. And so uh, in the rest of our time, what I want us to do is look at this famous parable in Matthew 18. And, and you will have certainly have heard this one before if you've been around the church for any, any length of time. Uh, but Matthew 18, uh, verses, beginning at verse 21. And then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother or sister sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Do you notice what he just did? He was impatient with Jesus to answer. So he answered. He said, how many times must I you know, forgive someone? And before Jesus says anything, seven times? He's not even patient in his answer, right? Now, did he just pull that number out of thin air? No, no, no. The rabbis of that time said that that you had to forgive somebody three times. They, you know, they, they do the same thing to you three times. You have to forgive them. But the fourth, fourth time, 
all hell breaks loose. You can do whatever you want. You, you, you can go at them on the fourth time. You don't have to forgive them. But he was like, well, you know, this is Jesus I'm talking to. Maybe I should double it and then add one. So he comes up with seven, a really big number, bigger than the rabbis would go. I think he's like, and I want you to think about this. Think about this for a second. Think about how extraordinarily difficult it would be to forgive someone seven times. Someone sins against you and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way so you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way, and you forgive them. And then, you know what they do? They sin against you in the same way, so you forgive them. And then, you, and then they do it again. They sin against you in the same way, and you forgive them. Now, as painful as that was to listen to, it is more painful to do. So when this guy comes up with seven, he's like, hey, seven? That's actually a huge number. And, and if you've been around the church, you know Jesus' response. Jesus says, no, 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 not as many as seven. Jesus says, but 77 times. By the way, this is called sarcasm, which I, by the way, was shocked, was not part of the fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus is being sarcastic here. He's not saying that the new number is 77, right? He's saying, never stop forgiving. He's saying, lose count. When someone sins against you over and over and over and over again, forgive them. Now, I have to stop for a second and just talk for a moment about forgiveness because people are, get, often get confused about forgiveness and they don't understand what forgiveness is. So let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending that evil didn't take place. Forgiveness is not making excuses for other people's sins. It's not overlooking abuse. Forgiveness is not letting people walk over you. Forgiveness is not refusing to press charges when someone has done something illegal and you have to turn it over to the authorities. It does not mean that you have to stay in relationship or friendship with that person. There, there are actually four different words translated forgiveness in the Bible, and they can be translated to cover, to lift and take away, to wipe clean, and to throw away. Now think of the beautiful picture of that. Someone sins against you. What do you do? You forgive. How? You go to the point of the hurt. You cover the offense. You take it away. You wipe it clean. You throw it away. You know, forgiveness is often more about you than the other person. It is the unchaining, unchaining yourself from that other person's sin because they often will just run away and just keep, you know, doing their thing. And then we they chain to that sin because we won't forgive. So let's go back to Jesus and Peter. Jesus tells them, you've got to not stop forgiving people. And, and, and I wonder if this stuck in Peter's mind because not very long after this, Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. And, and he's like, no, I'm not. He's, he's like, 
you're going to do it today. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you're going to do it three times today. And what did Jesus do after Peter denied him three times? He forgave him. Now, Jesus, who always has a story to tell, has one here. And it's a doozy. He says, therefore, so this is all about forgiveness. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now put this in context. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So 10,000 talents at that time, I mean, we're talking the equivalent of millions and millions and, and millions of dollars today. So we're talking about a massive, insurmountable, absurd amount of debt here. And the legal remedy, if you couldn't wouldn't pay or couldn't pay your debt is that you would be sold into slavery, you and your family, to work it off. And, and how long would that take him to do? Forever, right? And remember, Jesus' whole story here is about forgiveness. So, so, so think for a second how much time it would have taken this guy to accumulate this absurd amount of debt. I mean, it would have taken him a long time to accumulate that much debt. And the picture here is the debt that is owed when we sin against another or we sin against God. And this guy gets to the point where he has to, to pay the piper. So the servant does what any one of us would do in that situation. Any one of us uh, would do when we are caught in sin or, or you know, our sin kind of collapses um, around us. He, he begs. He pleads, and he makes an impossible promise. Look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. See it? Hold it. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. What does he ask for? Patience. He says, I'm going to pay you back. Now remember, the debt is millions and millions. There's no way this guy is paying it back. Like, it's impossible. Imagine being in his shoes. I mean, this is a parable. It's a made-up story that Jesus told to make a point. But just imagine, the guy says, you've got to come and stand in line and pay your debts. And so this guy lays awake in bed every night leading up from the time that he got the email to the time that he has to stand before this guy, right? And, and, and he's not able to sleep. He knows that this day is coming. It's on his calendar, and he's freaking out, and he can't sleep. And Jesus is using debt here as an illustration of sin, sin that we commit towards others, sin that we commit toward God. And imagine how much debt would have accumulated, how much this guy would have had to sin to accumulate this much debt. Have you ever had the sins you committed against someone pile up until they, if you, if you like, collapsed in an avalanche? Have you ever had the sins that you've committed against someone pile up until they just said, I can't take you anymore? That's this situation. And my guess is your response is, was you begged, you pleaded, and you made impossible promises. Well, here's what happens to this guy. And out of pity for him, the master 
of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's it. This is like a complete and utter turn of events. I mean, he, he was facing imprisonment for himself and his family, everything he had being sold. Like this was his whole life on the line. And he just says, please be patient with me. And the response is, okay. He walks into the room in bondage. He walks out completely free. Now remember, what is the king doing? He, he is bringing all of the accounts up to date with all of his servants. Not just this one guy, but there's a whole line out, 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 out the door. And the first thing this guy does is he walks out the door. This is what he does. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius was a day's wage for, for a laborer. So this is not an insignificant amount of money. It's not the millions and millions and millions of dollars, but it is significant. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This guy owed this guy money. It was the equivalent of about three months' wages, right? Not insignificant, but not nearly as big as the millions and millions he owed. He asked for patience. And what does it say? But he refused. He grabs the guy, starts throttling him, choking him, and he's demanding what? Instant payment. He doesn't even give him a, a chance to pay him back. And, and the thing is, again, he had, he had every legal right to demand that. He, he, he could say, you have to pay me right now, just like the king told, told him, you have to pay me right now. And, and the guy's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have that cash on me, and, 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 and he can just have him thrown in jail. It's, it's his legal right and response. But, but the mistake that he's making here is that he's throttling this guy in front of a line of people that are going in to see the king. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "'You wicked servant.'" I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. The word there in Greek is actually the word for torturers. In anger, his master delivered him to the torturers to be tortured until he should pay all his debt. Now we're talking about not just him and his family being enslaved and everything he owned being sold. He he was now going to be tortured until he could uh, pay it all back. Would he have a chance to pay it back? No, because he has, he's been, you know, he's busy being tortured. And, and then Jesus drops the bomb in his anger. His master delivered him to the tortures to be tortured until he could pay everything that he owed. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Just sit with that for a second. Let the weight of that sit. The issue of forgiveness is like a spotlight on our messed up hearts. 
How often do we drop to our knees and ask God to forgive us? And we turn right around and we don't give grace to people in our lives. How often do we assume the best motives of ourselves and assume the worst motives in others? We ask God to do something we refuse to do. Now, don't forget, yeah, these words, I think, in context, these are words here for believers. And I don't think that this, is, this means that if a believer doesn't forgive, they won't be forgiven in the sense that it means that they're going to, you know, be thrown into hell. I think Jesus is giving us a beautiful word picture that's kind of hard. He says they will be handed over to what? The torturers to be tortured. And think about this. <laughs> I mean, they've actually, there's actually been studies done The lack of forgiveness leads to anger, bitterness, unresolved issues, ulcers, high blood pressure, migraines, back pain, heart attack. Not that that's the reason for these things, but those medical conditions have actually been linked to a lack of forgiveness that leads to anxiety and leads to those those things. And each and every one Uh, Each and every day, we are faced with people and circumstances with the potential to get under our skin. Some of them are minor inconveniences, like ambling people on a moving sidewalk. And some of them rise to the level of affliction. And each of these people and circumstances, from moving sidewalks to affliction, bring suffering into our lives. So each and every day, we have an opportunity set before us where the opportunity says to us, would you be patient with me? And we have two paths. We can be patient or we can be impatient. We can walk down the impatient road of bitterness and resentment and self-centered indignation It's an easy path. It's a short path. We go to it quickly. It's why I'm so impatient. It's an easy path. The long path, the stretched out path, is the path of patience, paved with suffering for a long time, ultimately forgiving those who have sinned against us. And this is the path, of course, that Jesus walked for us. Jesus carried a heavy load or burden. He suffered. He was afflicted. He was nailed to a cross after a sinless life. And on that cross, he took all of our sin so that he could become a suffering Savior. And when we believe in him, we're able to lift our eyes from our present circumstances and patiently endure. Let's go back to that verse in Romans 12, right? If it comes up, you're We're called to be patient in affliction. What do you do? You rejoice. You call to mind the circumstance that, or call to mind the circumstance that I I, I, I mentioned at the beginning. That that person that, that drives you to impatient, that causes you to be impatient, brings minor or major affliction to your life. You, in the face of it, you choose to rejoice. How? In hope. Lifting your eyes to Jesus. Looking to him. Knowing that one day he's going to set everything right. 
that the suffering that you're going through right now has an expiration date, that it's just a blip on the map of all eternity. You gain perspective in Jesus. And then you persist in prayer. Man, man what, would it, what would happen if people like me, every time they run into people on that moving sidewalk, would just start praying for those people? Would our heart change? Would I just start looking at those people and I just pray, I just pray that, man, that God would be merciful and gracious to them. That he would cause them to see the reality of their creator and the beauty of the Savior. What if I'm in traffic and I pull into the left lane and some slow idiot pulls in front of me and what they deserve is to be run off the road into a fiery wreck. (laughs) But what if I think to myself, man, what if they had a really bad day at work today? What if they're facing a heartbreaking loss in a relationship or dealing with the terminal illness of a loved one? And I just... And just I started praying for that person's situation, whatever it is that they're facing. I think the key to patience is joy. Because we have a hope that this little blip is just a blip on the map. And so when we, fueled by this hope, persist in prayer, I think that is the key to us facing this present affliction. And so we're going to do it. I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to ask you to pray. You don't have to pray. Don't worry. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to do it with the person next to you or anything like that. But I want you to pray for that person that causes you to be impatient. And guess what? You're not praying that you would be more patient. You're praying for that person. So I just want you to take a few moments. Change your heart. Pray for that person. Rejoice in hope. And then I, the chief of all sinners in this area, I'm going to close us in prayer. So go ahead. You've got 30 seconds or so. Pray for that person as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for the immeasurable amount of patience you've shown me, the number of times that I've tried you and disobeyed you and sinned against you, and and yet you're patient with me. And I just pray that that patience would translate. I pray that that it would translate for all of us, that that we would gain perspective. Help us to be people who are rejoicing in the hope that we have in Jesus, that 
that when we face evil in our lives or evil in this world, that somehow we would be able to lift our eyes to you. And we pray that we would be people who don't just rejoice in hope, but that persist in prayer. Make us praying people. And we thank you that as followers of your son Jesus, we are destined to be like him. So we pray that that you would make us more patient and more loving. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. This table uh, that we come to each week, this is a table of, of forgiveness. It is a demonstration of the, of the patience of God toward us. And it was a table that, to be prepared and set for us, came at great cost. A great cost to the Lord Jesus Christ who, who suffered. He carried the weight. He carried the burden. He was stretched out uh, for us. And so as we come, we come mindful of that. We look back to the Lord Jesus um, and his great sacrifice for us. We come in remembrance, but we also come uh, in the present, knowing that he will meet with us, that by his spirit, his spirit is present with us as we partake of the bread and the cup uh, this morning to meet with us in the present, to provide, to strengthen us, to uh, live for him, to be able to live with an eternal perspective that we might live patiently um, and in a way that uh, our Lord Jesus calls us to live. So we invite you to this table, uh, but really it's the Lord Jesus that is bringing this invitation to each one of us uh, this morning. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you have repented of your sins, are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, this table has been prepared and set for you. Uh, Come and receive Christ as he is freely offered to you. For we remember and look back to the night when the Lord Jesus gathered with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread. And after giving thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood that will be poured out for complete remission of all your sins. He said, As often as you, he said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we get the privilege of doing so this morning. And so let us proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Feed on them in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. And I'll invite the uh, servers to come forward as is our practice here. We'll we'll serve our musicians and those who uh, need to remain seated. And then we'll invite you to come down the center aisle, even if you're on the outside wings. Come down the center aisle, receive the bread and the cup, and return to your seats by way of the outside aisles, holding the bread and cup till all are served and we'll partake uh, together.
Jesus Christ has been given for you for complete remission of all your sins. Amen. Let's stand together as we close our morning in song.
dismissed, go with the blessing of the Lord upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And now let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go in peace.